and my voice holds out here. Uh, this morning is January 2nd, 2011. That's a mouthful. It's hard for me to even consider that we're in 2011. According to the Mayans, we're running out of calendar space. But I want to tell you, don't get nervous. I don't believe for a minute of uh, the secular predictions. And you may even heard some TV ministries jumping all over it. Or maybe some atheistic, alien-worshipping uh, Bible code people that are jumping all over it. The Bible tells us that certain things must happen. Saints, be looking for them. If you don't know what they are, come and find me, and I will teach you. And I want to promise that the best-selling series from Walmart do not contain all of the truth that there is to know about God. They're, they're not even close uh, the best place to look for what we should expect, and the Bible tells Christians what to expect, because they're going to endure it, is in the actual Word. And I will teach you all of that that you want to know, but I promise that this ball of dirt is not about to explode. It's not going to happen, uh, not in the next 12 months. It uh, doesn't matter what the Mayans thought. There is work of God to be done on the earth. There are temples to be built. And the bottom line is... We need the worldwide revival that ushers in the revelation of the Messiah and the cleansing of Jacob. We need that. And it's something we should pray for daily. We need it in our own life so we can bring it to them. Y'all turn with me to Leviticus 8. Our message today is called Blood, Then Oil. Blood, Then Oil. Did you see in your bulletin you were given a insert? Okay. That insert is so that if you are inclined to take notes, you have something to take notes on, and you might drop them in a notebook and keep them. Our hope is that we don't have to be incredibly redundant with messages, because we want you to experience them, get them to be a part of you, and be able to meditate on them, and during difficult times, turn back to them. We are going to begin in Leviticus 8, starting in uh, verse 23. <clears throat> Are you there? <clears throat> 22. He then presented the other ram, the ram for ordination. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the ram and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Moses also brought Aaron's sons forward and put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. Then he sprinkled blood against the altar on all sides. Before we read any further in this, the priesthood in the Bible, according to Leviticus 8, all bore a certain mark. Most men in the world are right-handed. It is called, among physical therapists, your dominant hand. There's a reason for this. It's something that is symbolizes a man's strength. On average, when people take grip strengths, their dominant hand shows up because it's measurable. It's quantifiably different. Now, some of you in here are left-handed and some are ambidextrous, but we're talking about mankind in general. And the right side symbolizes a position of strength. It symbolizes where you would lean to. By the way, most of you in here, if you were in a physical confrontation and you only have one punch to throw, would you want it to be right-handed or left-handed? Most of you in here would want it to be right-handed. There's a reason for that. It is the very best you have to offer. 
So on the right side of a man's ear, where he hears from God, he would bear a mark of atonement. On the right thumb of his right hand, he would bear a mark of atonement. And I don't know whether you can imagine what it would be like, but not to have the big toe, called in physical therapy the great toe, not to have the great toe on your right foot would make it pretty darn awkward to balance, pivot, walk. Now there was a funny movie some years ago that talked about opposable thumbs. I don't want to go through all of those jokes here. But not to have a thumb on your right hand would make it pretty awkward to do things like swing a hammer. It would make it pretty awkward to go through your daily tasks. And God wanted a visible sign on His priesthood all of the time that the strongest part of their hearing needed to be filtered through the atonement of the Lord. The strongest part of their working needed to be filtered through the atonement of the Lord. The strongest part of their traveling needed to be through the atonement of the Lord. And not the atonement only, but look at verse 30. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood from the altar and sprinkled them on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and their garments. The men... <clears throat> thank you, Michael. The men and their clothing were consecrated with both blood and then oil. I want you to notice the order of things. You cannot receive the anointing oil without having received the atoning blood. He said, first put the blood and then put the oil. Actually, in the 30th verse, he mixes them together. <coughs> the point being, though, that you cannot be anointed as a priest until you have been atoned for as a priest. This was important. Many people want the blessing of the Lord. They want the empowerment of the Spirit. They want the oil of joy. But they have never been through the bloody sacrificial cross. Their strength is still in their own ability to hear and decide. Their strength is still in their own right hand to deliver. They go and travel where they please and do what they want. And friends, the anointing of God will not rest on a man who does not have all of his life filtered through the atoning work of the cross. <laughs> Anointing in simplistic terms simply means God's divine enablement. Well, how can God divinely enable you if you have already enabled you? How would you know who was the source of power producing the work? You wouldn't. And so He simply will not do it. His presence will not glory in your flesh. Turn with me to Leviticus 14. This is maybe a little bit more apropos. About that for a 50 cent word, Gabe. Apropos. I don't know. Sometimes that just flowed up out of my bed. Don't ask me to spell it. I told you what it takes to cleanse a priest. How many of you, when you were born again, when you showed up at the foot of the cross, were already priests. <laughs> yeah, none of you in here were Levites, were you? No, not a single person in here was uh, one of Aaron's sons who was born to be a priest. But see, it was not only the priests who were destined for this. Listen to what happens if you were a leper. In the 12th verse. Then the priest is to take one of the male lambs and offer it as a guilt offering along with the log of oil. 
He shall wave them before the Lord as a wave offering. He is to slaughter the lamb in the holy place where the sin offering and the burnt offering are slaughtered. Like the sin offering, the guilt offering belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest is to take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed. See, priests start by being atoned for. Then they move to being anointed. And then where they finish is in finding others who are dirty, who are leprous, who are outside the economy of God and cannot enter the tent of meeting. And then they do the same thing for those people that was done for them. The right hand of one to be cleansed on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. <clears throat> then the priest shall take some of the log of oil, pour it in the palm of his own left hand. What does that tell you about the priest? They're usually right-handed. Dip his right forefinger into oil in his palm. And with his fingers sprinkle some of it before the Lord seven times. Then the priest is to put some of the oil remaining in his palm on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, on the thumb of the right hand, of the big toe of the right foot, on the top of the blood of the guilt offering. So first came the blood, then came the oil. First there needs to be a priesthood. Somebody who can atone for you, whose strength does not depend upon themselves, but depends upon the power and atonement of the living God. Then that priest goes and finds people just like you and me. Did you know that in Israel you're not supposed to touch a leper? <coughs> they put bells on them. Can you imagine walking around with an alarm like a car alarm that anytime somebody got close, you know, me and this young lady are getting close to each other and oops, I touched her. Warning! Warning! This person is unclean! Stay away! Unclean! Stay away! They will make you unclean! Stay away! Could that make you feel pretty bad? <coughs> this is exactly the condition lost man is in. There may be no warning that everyone hears. But let's be honest. Do you know any lost man that is making the world a better place? Even successful philanthropists have such problems in their own families and marriages. No matter what the worldly endeavor, if it starts in a man's own right arm, it ends with his strength and his ability. And that will never fix the world. I wrote to a relative recently, by any measurable standard, your life is a failure. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? But if after 60 some odd years, they've not been able to look in the mirror and see that, maybe it was time to tell them. I love you, but there's only destruction in your path. How long will you continue to labor in your own strength and your pride keep you from the only thing that can heal you? But that's not a problem with my relative only, is it? How long must God deal with His own children to give up the strength of our own hearing, our own right hand, our own doing, and our own right foot, our own traveling? Saints, it is so easy to say, He is my Lord, but have you considered what it means? It means that your eyes and ears, your sensory perception, 
is filtered through your knowledge of him to the point that you cast down every thought that does not agree with him. You understand that? You do not have the right to entertain thoughts that do not agree with the Word of God. But what you hear when confronted, when you confront people about this, is, I know, but. You don't realize that what you're saying is He is not my Lord. Because if He is your Lord, He is the owner of all that you hear and all that you see. You see people doing things. This is a good thing. I have decided to do it because it is a good thing. <clears throat> no good dwells in your flesh, the Bible declares. None. You can decide to do things that are good, but what you're doing is wrapping something that is really a wolf in sheep's clothing. Because the only thing that is good is that which has proceeded from God. This means that your hand, if it is guided by you, is producing evil even if it looks like something that is good. By the way, who are you to judge what is good and evil? Isn't that how we got into this position in the first place? Well, how then do we know? Hebrews says that the mature train themselves through constant use of the Word of God. See, when we have learned to let our hearing, our sensory perception, to be governed by the Word of God, the atoning work of God, governed by the leading Spirit of the Lord, our ideas are not our own anymore. Then when we move into the actual doing realm with our hands, it is no longer our strength, but as Paul says, it is His strength which works so powerfully in me. How many people have you heard talk about burnout? <clears throat> you can be honest. JJ is the only one in here that's ever heard anybody talk about burnout. You already give me the left foot of fellowship? What's the name? How do you burn out? if your fuel is the Lord. You know the fastest way to burn out? Work for yourself. Be self-employed. By the way, why does anybody own their own business? Why is anybody self-employed? You hear the same thing every time you ask. I don't want to work for anybody. There should be no such thing as a spiritually self-employed Christian. There shouldn't be. Now, I applaud those of you who are entrepreneurs in the church. If there were not small businesses being started, our nation would not be where it is today. And I mean that in the positive sense that what is left of our nation. But in the kingdom, we're in a theocratic system. It all depends upon an authority that originates in the Holy of Holies and flows outward. And to the extent that we have eyes that won't see and ears that won't hear and hands that will not do and feet that will not go, but persist in going their own way, you do not have the kingdom of God. What the kingdom of God looks like is ears and eyes that see what God wants them to see, hands that do what He wants them to do, and feet that are beautiful because they are carrying the good news He sent them to carry. Well, that's a high standard, isn't it? And yet it is the standard for priest and leper alike. Did you hear me? Priest and leper alike. It is the standard wherever you are in the spectrum. One day cleansed from your leprosy or a priest for decades makes no difference if you're going to work for God. Well, I don't work for God. You do. Really, examine your Bible. Your life belongs to Him. Now let's think about the wonders of what happens when you do these things. 
if the only thing that is getting through your ears is what has been atoned for, if what has been anointed of God, divinely enabled of God, what has happened to your mouth? It is renewed. It is powerful. It's not wandering and restless. It's not inventing new ways to do evil. It is not constantly seeing evil. It is constantly seeing the glory of God. Who doesn't want a life like that? Let's examine your hands for a moment. If the only thing that your hand does is that which was atoned for by the Lord, if the only thing that your hand does is that which God anointed it to do, if your hands never do things that are destructive to people, if your hands never do things that you would later seriously regret, who would not want a life whose hands are literally building the kingdom of God? Wouldn't you want a life like that? What kind of legacy would it leave? How about feet? What if you were never led into a place that you shouldn't go? What if you were never at the wrong place at the wrong time? How different would your life be if you were not standing there the day the police showed up? How different would your life be if you had not been there in that situation when? And you fill it in. I know you guys. You know me. You know that if you could go back and erase certain days in your life, your life would look different today. Well, you can't. But you can ensure that your feet never carry you into a place God didn't intend for you again. And this means that wherever you walk, you're walking in the presence of God. Whatever you're doing is anointed by God. His energy, whatever you're thinking, hearing, seeing, is God working through you. You know who looked like that? Jesus. And He's invited you to be inside of Him. And Him to be inside of you. And for you to coexist in the kind of unity that He and His Father have. Now tell me that is not the right way to live. Tell me that's not something that your heart would delight in. This is the goal. It's what we should be shooting for. Turn with me to Judges. We'll be in the first chapter of Judges. <coughs> Two of you were there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Judges. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked Yahweh, who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? Joshua had begun the deliverance of Israel. But now it's the Israelites' turn to walk in the deliverance that Joshua fought for them to obtain. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeshua gave you deliverance. He taught you to walk in it through His lifestyle. He empowered you. But right now in the flesh... He's not standing here with you. Instead, He has sent another counselor who is like Him, who is the substance of Him, who will empower you. But you have to ask, how are we going to fight the Canaanites that are all around us? Isn't this the very same situation you're in? Isn't it? Okay, again, we just got JJ. 
What was it going to take to get you guys to participate with me? Should we stop now? No. I mean, did y'all lose the power of speech? No. Too long, we have just sat and soaked. Some sage on a stage, you come do your hour and out. I'm not interested in a church life like that, and I hope you wouldn't settle for it either. I'm inviting you to participate in the things of God and be a spectator no longer. If one of you had such a burning word from God that you knew when you walked in this place it was born of God, I'd sit down right there. <coughs> Who here spent the morning fasting and praying for the benefit of the others for that? Well, until then, I'm going to stand and speak, but I hope there's a day I don't have to. Moses wished that all God's people were prophets. I'm inviting you to participate in the things of God, not just sit on your salvation. Look, I'm going to be honest. Most of the churches on this road would be happy if you showed up and put some change in the plate. They would. And dear God, don't bother me with your problems. But then you have to ask, is that kind of thinking, did it come through the blood on my earlobe and the anointing oil on my earlobe? Does that kind of working come through redeemed hands? Does that kind of ministering and traveling come through redeemed feet? Or is it just... I don't know, something like a wolf wrapped in sheep's clothing. I care what happens to your life because you are my retirement program. What? what could you, I thought you did this for no financial gain. No, I mean that the only thing that will make my life worth having lived it is if I stand before the king and some of you are there. Amen. Amen. And if every person in this room was there, would that feel like a success? No, because I was supposed to teach you to have a great following behind you as well. That's why I was sent to Sugarland, Texas. And I can say that these feet were atoned for when they came and anointed to go, and that's the only reason I'm here. I think my life goal and vision before this was to be a football coach and a social studies teacher. I was going to wear those ugly shorts and everything. <laughs> because my flesh was shooting basically for what I saw as the minimum, the easiest way to make a living and not have any difficulties. I wanted to work the fewest days a year, do only the things that I like to do, and dis everything that I dislike, I would just not do. You don't know anybody like that, do you? <laughs> and when I got born again, he owned me. He controlled me. He took me in a radically different direction. He changed all of my plans. The first thing that he told me is I was incomplete without her. Go propose. I'm like, have you met her parents? I don't think they're going to like this. <laughs> he said, I've taken care of that. Fred gave me the right hand to fellowship. I was sure he didn't hear the question. <laughs> he did. God had prepared the places in advance for me so that when I got there, my feet would be on level ground. It was a whole lot better than all of the hill climbing I was doing trying to find my own flat ground. Come on, what is your life like? You are here by invitation, not membership, not requirement. None of you are going to get a tax deduction for just being here. I don't have a list of secret kudos somehow. You know, I'm not going to give you some weird blessing that you know we don't know where it would come from if not the Vatican. It's not going to happen. So why are you here? I've invited you to participate in the most radical thing on the planet. God's will for your life. Where were we? The Lord answered, Judah is to go. I have given the land into their hands. 
It's interesting that we recently learned about the encampment of Israel and what the encampment would look like. Judah would be on the east side of the temple. Judah was to face the rising sun because as the sun rose, praise was supposed to rise with it. As the enemy came, marching with the sun at his back, trying to blind your eyes, our eyes would be fixed on Jesus. We would have one battle standard. The king of the living kings. We would march where he told us to march. Judah's name means praise. I didn't mean to spit on you, baby. <laughs> Judah's name means praise. Because when we go into battle, no matter where it is, our eyes are on the King of Kings and our praise pulls us out of difficulty. Amen. Friends, Christians have been sold as slaves intentionally and could praise the living God while they were doing it. Our scripture does not say avoid difficulty. Our theologians do, but our scripture does not. Amen. It says overcome evil with good. Amen. He who stands firm to the end shall be saved. <laughs> this means that they could tear your arms and legs off, but they belong to Jesus anyway and they will return to Him. <laughs> if you have never read it, please go check out Fox's Book of Martyrs. Well, I just can't bear to read all of that blood and gore. If all you see in it is blood and gore, then your life is completely defeated by fear already. Because I see victory on every page. Amen. Victory after victory after victory of an unconquerable faith that praise led them into battle and nothing could call them back because their eyes were on Jesus. Amen. What are your eyes set on? How good is a 401k? Unless you were smart enough to invest in gold about 15 years ago, your 401k has probably been depleting. Depleting. I don't have any gold to sell. I've got only the kind Jesus gives me. And we're not looking for dust to appear in here. I think that's absurd. It's ridiculous. I'm embarrassed when I hear that stuff. Judah is to go first. Eyes on the rising sun, the bridegroom, Psalm 19 says, coming for his bride. See, when we go into battle, the throne of God is moving and he meets us in that place. It is no longer your hands that are doing the work, no longer your feet that are marching, no longer your sensory perceptions on the line. It is his working through you. This is how we were meant to live. So is it any surprise then that there's an enemy that is waiting? Is praise enough? No. It's really not. Right? <coughs> Praise is not enough. You need to hear what the voice of the Spirit is saying. You need, like Mary, to have a life that is overshadowed by the power of God. This little girl changed the world through one act of obedience. What did she really do in the end of things? What did she really do? She did what a billion other women have done. She gave birth to a child. But apparently she had a choice. Because an angel came to announce it and said, The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And she said, May it be unto me as you have said. I want my ears to hear atoned, spirit-led words. I want my hands to be about spirit-led, atoned things. And my feet will carry me in the presence of God. Did it come without sacrifice? Did it come without cost? Her baby had to be born in a manger. But what a baby to be born. I don't know where your dreams and visions will be birthed, but I can assure you they cannot be birthed without sacrifice. 
It will require you to know the difference between your strength, your hearing, and your traveling. And God's working through you. You will never know that place if you are not forced to the end of your strength. To the end of your ability to hear. To the end of your ability to outrun your problems or run into the next new thing. Our God will hem you in on every side and make you stop kicking against the goats because He loves you. Wouldn't it be better if you just said, Here I am in the body that you prepared for me. I'm ready to do your will, Lord. Or must we always have the same ridiculous repeating? The Lord had to encourage me before He could get my attention. The Lord had to nudge me. The Lord had to hit me in the head with a two-by-four. I had to be imprisoned. If I had not almost died, I would not be serving the Lord today. These are the testimonies. And when you don't hear those, you hear others that are not testimonies at all. I've basically been a pretty good boy all my life. But one day I decided to get serious about Jesus. I want to look at you and say, liar. Liar. You've never been a good boy. Never. And if that's what you think about yourself, you have not been born again. You had nothing to be born again from. You were in heaven already. We were morally bankrupt, monstrous sinners that left a life of destruction and a legacy of devastation all around us. And at some point, you either have yielded your ears, have yielded your hands, have yielded your feet, or you just claim to have. You went and got a Christian tattoo or something. You wanted to look like you were under the blood. You rubbed some sand, suntan lotion on it. Looked pretty. Said, this is anointing oil. But friends, I can smell the presence of God. I can feel it. I know what it's like. You know why? I'm born of its substance and so should you. Ever been to a family reunion? You can recognize genetic traits. You ought to be able to recognize those born of the Spirit. John had not opened his mouth and I knew he was born again. Not because somebody told me, but because I could see it. I could feel it. I have a feeling he knew the same thing. Judah, the Lord answered, Judah is to go. I have given the land into their hands. Then the men of Judah said to the Simeonites, their brothers. Simeon means he who hears, as in hears from God. The accompaniment of praise is your ability to hear from God. But you need to get this order right. Even as you cannot have anointing oil before you have atoning blood, you cannot have the hearing from God without the praising of God. It does not work. Many times during difficult moments in people's lives, they claim to have heard God and they choose paths. And if this puts them at odds with other people, they stomp their feet and say, I've heard from God. You can absolutely know that it is not possible to be angry and hear from God. It's not. The only way their anger and the presence of God ever go together is when He speaks to you and says, this should make you angry. Go turn over tapes. But if the anger originated with Him and you're asking, uh, originated with you and you're asking Him to bless it, we're right back where we started. You must be in a position of praise 
to know what the will of the Father is. Because praise says, I am less than you. You are more than me. Your ways are higher than my ways. You are hallowed and I am not. Your kingdom is the way we should live and not the kingdom of men. You will never hear from God without praising Him. But when you do praise Him, saints, you should expect to hear from Him. Because praise and hearing are like two inseparable brothers. How do we go into battle? Praising God, hearing His voice, empowered by His presence. He's enthroned <coughs> upon us. Then the men of Judah said to the Simeonites, their brothers, Come up with us into the territory allotted to us to fight against the Canaanites. We in turn will go with you into yours. So the Simeonites went with them. A reciprocal relationship between praise and hearing. When Judah attacked, the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands, and they struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. Bezek is a city, and it means lightning. There was a place where there was fire in the heavenlies. There was a place where there were signs in the heavens. They called it Bezek. It was there that they found Adonai Bezek. It's interesting. Adonai is simply another way to say Adonai. You recognize the words Adonai? This is God's name. So we have somebody trying to impose his God. He's trying to wear a title God. But he is really a false God who has fallen like lightning. Does that sound like anybody that you know? Let's look and see if we can see in this story something just beneath the text that tells you what the enemy's intention is for your life. It was there that they found Adonai Bezek, the false god of lightning, and fought against him, putting to rout the Canaanites and the Perizzites. The false god of lightning always has minions that work for him. They might work with you. They might live next door to you. They might be members of your own household. I didn't say that. Jesus did. He's a master at having his will done through other people. In fact, if your right hand and your right foot and your right ear are not wholly dedicated to the Lord, the truth of the matter is you're working for Adonai Bezek whether you know it or not. Because Ephesians 2 says that the spirit of disobedience is at work in you. Anything that is less than obedience to God is allegiance to the enemy. You tell me where the permissive will of God is in that. Anything less then what He told you to do is working for the enemy. Because you're only capable of producing destruction and death on your own. The legacy of man, the federal head of the human race, is that one man wrought death for all men. But the man who was born of heaven brings life to all men. Every choice, every day, every thought, every traveling, every work of your hand shows allegiance to one race or the other. We must pick our sides, saints. 
It was there that they found Adonai Bezek and fought against him, putting to rout the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they chased him and caught him. Let me ask you something. Is Satan chasing you or are you chasing him? Does he have to worry about you when you wake up during the day? Or do you wake up worried about him? Can't go to the hospital, I might get sick, fear monger. You're a spiritual terrorist and on the wrong side. I can't go be around those people, what they're doing might rub off on me. Coward. These are all things that are born of him, not born of the living God. Every day we should say, Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to think? What do you want me to do? I'm ready. Not watch the news and decide whether or not it's convenient. What do we do when the American church is back out of the most needy country in our continent? In North America, the most needy place you can find is not six hours from here. And they are closing mission centers all over Mexico. You know why? It's become difficult. What if the first century saints had thought like that? You'd still be worshiping goats. You would. We'd be practicing some kind of losing mysteries. Go get loaded and then tell everybody what you saw and say, what happened in uh, the Bacchanalian mysteries, the losing mysteries, stays there. It'd be kind of like going to Las Vegas. Pit of Hell has always had the same game plan. It will chase you down and overpower you if you are not chasing it down. There is no peace treaty. He wants to kill you. Yes. Sit around and think that you can love God and you can't see him. But you don't even like the person you're sitting next to and you see them every day. Will not work. Sit around and think that you can be forgiven by God but not forgive the person sitting next to you. You've been deceived. Jesus himself said it is not possible. Saints, we better get into the Word. We better begin to examine our thoughts against His atoning work. Our thoughts against His anointing. We better do the same with our actions and our travelings. It ought not be hard to recognize the saints of God, and I don't think you can do it by the frowns on their faces. Maybe the most uncomfortable movie I've ever seen, and I'm not recommending it. I shuddered even mention the title, but I watched Amistad. One of the things that I couldn't help notice was the screenwriter wrote about the slaves' impressions of the Christians. They called them the miserable ones because they looked like they were sucking on lemons all of the time. This is not the mark of the children of God. Amen. Herod could threaten Jesus' life and with a smile on his face, he could say, you go tell that fox, I'll press on today, tomorrow, and on the third day I'll reach my goal. There's only so many days of light or hours of light in which a man can work and then night comes in which no man can work. I will press on! Where is this attitude among the saints? Well, if it's raining, I don't know if I'll make it. Well, if it's cold, maybe we should reschedule the baptism. <laughs> This is not Jesus. It might be the American version of Jesus. The problem is he was not an American. 
It was there that they it was there that they found Adonai Bezek and fought against him, putting to rout the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they chased him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Then Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off have picked up scraps under my table. How many kings? Seventy. The same number of Israelites that went into Egypt. The same number of elders in Israel. Even the Israeli Sanhedrin in Jesus' day had 70 because it represented God's ruling force on the earth. Ten was the number of man. Seven was the number of God. And when you combined them, you had man ruling on God's behalf. Adonai Bezek wanted to cut off the anointing of those who were meant to rule the earth for God. He wanted to cut off their thumbs and toes. He wanted them begging and humiliated. He did not just want to kill them. He wanted to make sport of them. You want to know what the enemy's designs are for your life. It is to humiliate you. To embarrass you. To drag you through every filthy thing and then hold you up and say, but he's made in God's image. you feel bad for somebody when they do something stupid and the next day it is on YouTube for the whole world to see and before you know it there's 25,000 hits some idiot in the project attacked me and it's all around the world it's on iTunes you can buy it all of a sudden it's that year's Halloween costumes the problem is it is also a joke and you are the punchline. Is this what we want for our lives? So it don't matter. He's getting rich. Well, he better enjoy it. Is that what you want just to get rich? You have no place in the kingdom. You can go with the liars and the swindlers and the thieves that are preaching all of that prosperity garbage and y'all go steal from each other. But you have no place among the saints if what you want is to get rich. The love of money is wickedness all day long. You need your daily bread. You need the increase that He gives you and no one else. And you know what? <coughs> is to be used for Him and no one else. There is a liar out there who wants to embarrass you. The most difficult thing about recognizing this is it is so hard to do. It is so hard to embarrass an American Christian. Disrespectful to their parents, no big deal. Who cares? Lying? Hey, it's just part of life. Swindling somebody? Hey, we all got to operate in business, you know. You mean you don't cheat on your taxes? Disrespectful. Foolish talk, coarse jesting. All of the things that you and I are going to and we're never embarrassed about it. Instead, proudly, we look at any accuser and say, hey, you, you don't know what's in my heart. Some people are so bold that they will commit sexual sin and come to church like nothing's happened. So, well, where else should I be? No, you should be in church, but you cannot act like nothing happened. Some would like to put away their spouses and that God's okay with it. 
Some would like to harbor thoughts about their pastor. And then God's okay with it. Forget about the delegated authority of God sometimes. If Watchman Nee doesn't set you straight on that, I never will. I put all of his books in the library for you to read. All of them. It's so hard to embarrass an American Christian. We have literally no shame. We'll even put up with jokes at Jesus' expense. And the worst one we put up with is our own lives that are often a joke at his expense. We're like kings with our thumbs and toes cut off, groveling for scraps under Adonai Bezek's table. Just make me popular and I'll do whatever you want. Just give me some money and I'll do whatever you want. Just make me happy. Give me pleasure for this moment and whatever you want, I'm yours. The problem is, is you were called to be so much more than that. Make no mistake, it is not cruel to cut off Adonai Bezek's thumbs. It is not cruel to cut off his toes. Say, that seems so wrong. Why would you do that to a human being? You need to hear this as left out of the American gospel. You will get from God what your deeds deserve. Period. You will get from God what your deeds deserve. There is an appointment with the King of Kings. We shall sit before Him or stand before Him while He sits on the Bema seat of judgment and every man will receive from Him for their deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. But the Americans that have no shame say, no, it's just a reward ceremony. It's like Breckley, everybody gets to play and we all get the same trophy. What an insult to Christians that have been filleted for the gospel. What an insult to Christians that have been tarred and feathered for the gospel. This is so serious that it is hard for us to even comprehend it because we've lived around something that is not all of our miserable, stinking religious lives. Well, I thought a great way to start off 2011 was a wake-up call. What were you called to be? You were called to be a leper no more. You were called to be presently a priest. You were called to chase the enemy, not have him chase you. You were called to restore men, not see them debased. You were called to take the fight to him. And what is required of you to do it? Praise God and hear whatever He tells you. Mm -hmm. Turn with me to Exodus 13. If you're fortunate enough to have heard elements of this message more than once, consider that you may need it to hear it again. I did. I read out about six messages this morning all over my desk. And I said, Lord, the God's honest truth is the church needs all of these, and I do too. Mm-hmm. What do we do? Unfortunately, I'm the pastor, so I could pick the elements that I wanted you to have this morning. Isn't that good? Mm-hmm. What's, what was the scripture? Exodus 13. Thank you for not being scared to speak among the assemblies of your brothers who are supposed to be willing to die so that you might prosper in life. I'm glad to know that somebody's able to speak publicly because there is a time period where I'm kind of hoping that you might give your life for my child's benefit. You know, It's hard to imagine that that could be possible if we can't even muster up the courage to say, you know, amen. Yeah. 
Well, you know, we're just a bunch of crackers. We don't do that. We're not all crackers. What's your excuse? Come on now. The body of Christ is supposed to be a living, vibrant thing. Yes, it is. Amen. Amen. And there's not laughter in the house of God. And now smiles in the house. See, repentance is working right now. I love you, buddy. You're all right, buddy. In Exodus 13, pick up with me in the 17th verse. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. What does this tell you about the people of God? They were not ready. <coughs> They did not have about them a readiness for warfare. Well, good thing that was them and not us, right? They did not have a sense that they were ready to get into the thick of things right now. They thought, you know, maybe later, you know. Can I just send a check to this guy? <laughs> what happens when war is raging all around you but you don't want to participate? You become an occupied territory. That's what happens. Are you an occupied territory, Zach? <coughs> Are you ready for war? I hope you're ready for war. Because I can tell you, this ship is steering directly into it. Every fiber of our being, everything that we have will be about one thing. The deliverance of God's people. Not just this year, for the rest of our lives. We won't retire from it. Amen. If they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. What a strange thing. To be full of an armory, got a loaded gun, but just not ready to use it. If there are three points that you're writing in your notes, I hope one of them is readiness. Another one might be armory. And here comes the third. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He said, God will surely come to your aid. Did you hear that? God will surely come to your aid. And when you come up out of this land, bring me with you. There are some things we're supposed to go into battle with. One is a readiness. You know that the enemy has malintent on you and you feel exactly the same way. The other is armory. You are supposed to go not with your own strength, not with your own ears, not with your own feet. You're supposed to be standing like David with the armies of the living God. It is him Adonai Bezek has offended, not you. You're merely his agent, his ruling force, one of his 70 kings. And the last is you go with a resurrection hope that says whatever I get into, whatever the problem is, no matter what it is, my God comes to my aid. Let me ask you, how hopeful does this look? Not much. <laughs> I'm going to encourage you towards some resurrection smiles. When the world is pulling at the corners of your mouth, it shows. When there is no statement of faith written on your face, it's only on your church website. Something's wrong. It shows that we're defeated already. This is why Paul wrote to the Galatian church. 
He said, what happened to your joy? It's almost as if it's the first thing he noticed about them. There's two things that I notice in the church. I notice immediately when somebody's withholding intimacy. They're just kind of staying a little bit outside the circle, you know? Because something's got them that separated them. They just, you know, y'all are kind of good over there. I'm good right here. I still want to be a part, but I don't really want to be close to you, you know? The other is joy is leaking out of them like a sinking ship because they're shipwrecking their faith right in front of you and the whole time unembarrassed about it. Because they have a right to think what they want. Don't you believe you have a right to think what you want? I hope you don't believe that anymore. I have a right to do what I want. I hope not. I have a right to go where I want to go. This pastor doesn't do it for me anymore. Maybe the one down the road will. Have a good time. But you don't have that right. Whatever happened to praying for the person that is leading you? Whatever happened to praying for the people walking alongside you? Whatever happened to encouraging those who are walking that are beneath you? When did we develop such an individual sense that we were at war with no one? Not alongside anyone and not fighting against anyone. We're just kind of existing, you know? This is not how we were meant to live. Not at all. We were meant to have a readiness for warfare. We were meant to be armed to the hilt. And we were meant to carry a resurrected presence with us all of the time. Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is my strength. Isn't it interesting that when you want to show in America how strong someone is, what does Schwarzenegger do? You know? Look like a great big smile, doesn't it? Great big smile. I know it's hard to envision Schwarzenegger while I do it. <laughs> you know, faith is calling the things that are not as though they were. <laughs> Jen, you see it, don't you, Betsy? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tom Arnold, we're standing here showing you. <laughs> or John Belushi, or I don't know. <laughs> Listen, 218 times in the Bible the word joy is mentioned as a positive thing. We're going to cover every single one of those before we leave. In Genesis 4, 6 through 7, our God spoke to Cain. And the first thing he says to Cain is, Cain, why is your face so downcast? He noticed that Cain was not walking in strength. Cain was not walking in victory. Cain was susceptible. Why was he susceptible? Because strength had gone out of him. Joy had gone out of him. His face was literally downcast. Friends, a downcast face will cast you down. It will make you thumbless, toeless, earless. It will make you an object of scorn, something humbled and humiliated. What did God tell Cain? Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Why was it crouching at his door? It made a home there. Cain had made a nice little bed for it. His bad thoughts, his bad actions, his bad travelings had made a nice, neat little home there. And Cain could pretend like, yeah, you know, I know it's just here, but I mean, it, it, it's here, you know, because it's going to help me. How much did it help him? 
made him an object of scorn for all time. In fact, the way of a man's own strength is defined in the Bible as the way of Cain. How about that? How would you like that legacy? Biggest statement of faith you can make to the heavenly powers is to be fruitful while being afflicted. While you're being pounded on every side. Laugh at it. Laugh at it. Smile. Dance around in your kitchen. He tells you he's going to tear apart your marriage. Laugh and say, cry. Can't be done. Jesus holds it together. If you don't want to laugh, you can watch this white guy in cowboy boots dance. I do that sometimes. I dance around my house like an idiot. My wife and I sometimes just grab each other and jump up and down. We usually do that when we didn't feel like it. You know why? My feelings are not in control of me anymore. My spirit is. And my spirit commands my body how it should feel. So Eric, that's awful metaphysical. We'll try the alternative. It's very true. Let your body tell your spirit how it should feel. You're probably not here today, are you? <laughs> See, I have found out that I have a whole lot more control than this warfare than I thought simply by relinquishing all of my fleshly thoughts, all of my fleshly actions, and all of my fleshly travelings, and replacing them with a, okay, Lord, I love you an awful lot. Life around me is difficult right now. What would you like me to do? He will never tell you, sit there, sulk. That's never. Right. Never. You'll never hear that. God will never tell you, you're, you're right, Matthew. Your life sucks pretty bad. Sit here and mourn about it for a while. <laughs> no, no, don't smile. Don't smile. The Lord wants you to be sad. And see if you can make her miserable too. And look, later, why don't you two go visit these two and see if you can bring them down as well. <laughs> and, and after that cancer has spread here let's see if we can get it to spread there maybe we can get such a big rebellion to God that the earth will open and swallow us oh no if we do that we were called to God so were they so were they saints the smiles on our faces are a statement of faith I couldn't help but I walked through Coles the other day somebody messed up and gave Jennifer a gift certificate <laughs> when I did, I couldn't help but notice women put all kind of weird chemicals on their face. <laughs> and you almost need to be a chemist to kind of figure out what they are. <laughs> this is hydromeloxin, blah, blah. And I'm like, there's too many syllables in that word. <laughs> they would never buy something like this. It would simply need to, to say, makes you look good. <laughs> and I looked and I thought, am I in a chemistry class or am I in the makeup section of Coles? Guys, you're supposed to be feeling sorry for me right now. I was in the makeup section. <laughs> it was her birthday. To tone and tighten and lift and all of this. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Right now, with absolutely no money, a little bit of yielding to the Lord, just an absolute little bit of exerting some godly will, you can give yourself a facelift. Yeah. It makes all of you more attractive. I can see you, I'm telling you. Have you looked at Facebook profiles lately? <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to broadcast to the world? And do you realize that your face is a billboard that either says you're a lover of God or you're not? 
People pay good money for this stuff. I'll give it to you for free. <laughs> Amen. Listen. Here's the most basic thing I could tell you about this. Is that like a great big bowl, the man who is strong and full of joy is standing. It's our logo. You ever seen our logo? He's standing ready to receive all that God would pour on him because praise prepares you to hear from God. It prepares you for that. The man who is frowning is like a great big bowl ready to shed every blessing that would fall on him. No matter what happens, like water rolls off a duck's black back, the blessings will roll off of you because you have not prepared your life to receive anything except sin, just like Cain. So it will always be where? Crouching right beside you because it hit you, rolled off, and made its home next to you. A smile receives things from the Lord and the ground sheds them. This is the most basic way I know how to tell you a profound spiritual truth. you have another six, seven minutes for me? Yes. Have you gotten all you want? Because if you have all you want, I'll say this and preach it next week. Keep going. Jen, Jen's given me the stretching this. <laughs> I have more faith in you than that. I think you can smile and learn it. Turn with me to Exodus 17. See, I didn't ask you to go far. There. 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 We all had a good time at the bonfire, right? Yeah. You believe we had a good time in Mexico? <laughs> you think I'm having a good time right now? In all of those places we were sick and had fever and every other problem, how much are you going to let your body tell you what you can and can't enjoy? How much are you going to let your emotions tell you how you must interpret the world? I have decided that my ears are anointed of God. I've decided that they're atoned of God. And I'm not going to let just any thought in. Now, is there a moment at which you might be sick and the Lord said, hey, stupid, lay down? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. But if you didn't say that, why is our first thought that we need to be miserable all of the time? I'm going to hurt you by It's the natural state of man. It takes something supernatural to overcome that. I want to live a supernatural life. These signs shall follow those who believe. You simply must begin to believe. You have a lot more control than you believe that you do. If you begin to believe it, you will act on it. And if you act on it, you will see success and it will encourage more success. This is simply the truth. This is not some weird name it and claim it church. It simply is the truth. It you know is. how I know? I've touched it. I've handled it. This has been my way of life. You'll never convince me, coming from where Jennifer and I have come from, Married with very little experience in the kingdom. No experience in life. Contrary to any thoughts you may have out there, nobody just made our whole life a better roses for us. We believed that what God said was true. And we began to act like it. And then we began to experience victorious living. Doesn't mean that we were not having trials. Some of you know I have had pretty extensive trials. So has she. But the trial itself didn't define us. The victory at the end of it has. <coughs> and I view every trial as another opportunity to see God's power displayed. Every single time. And if I don't, slap me until I do. 
And unlike some of you, I, I mean that literally. I'd rather a righteous man strike me than to go about moldy grubbing all over the time. You can go find a Christian counselor who tells you you can't do anything about it. He should be fired. There is no, no uh, five-fold Christian counselor. There's pastors. There's apostles. There's prophets. There's evangelists. But you can go pay outwardly if you want. Have somebody tell you whatever you want. It just won't happen here. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin. I wonder why they left. <laughs> Traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim. Rephidim was an interesting word in the Bible. It means rest. They camped at a place of rest. Isn't that really kind of what we're all looking to do? Lord, my life's been so hard. My budget's been so difficult. It's been so long since I got new clothes. It's blah, blah, blah. And never mind you, the richest, most spoiled people on the whole planet. All of you. Every one of you, by virtue of where you live and what you're wearing, right now makes you filthy, stinking rich by the world's standards. But we're always looking for a place to rest because every testimony starts with, you know, my life's been so hard. Maybe we need to rethink that. How embarrassing would that be if you've been some of the places that I have been? Even in this country. They camped at a place of rest. But there was no water for the people to drink. This is because God's water always comes when you're doing what God tells you to do. God's water always comes in response to your thirst from battle. He opens up hollow places and He feeds His people. He never says, oh, here they are pretty, pretty. Just sit here and do nothing for a decade or two. Go warm a pew in the back of that church. He never says that. He called every one of you because you were to begin the deliverance of your people. He called every one of you because you were to be the yeast that would work its way through the whole loaf. He called every one of you because you were supposed to chase down Adonai Bezek and pay him back for what he had been doing to you. Our salvation these days only includes divine salvation. You read the Hebrew Scriptures carefully and you will find out that your salvation includes something else. Divine retribution. He comes back to reward those who are His and to pay back evil upon evil for those who have made it their lifestyle. Another way to say that would be injury for the evil. Go read Psalm 58 sometime. David gets a unique bath for his feet. Pretty interesting. But there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Have you noticed that people that have time to fight have time for nothing else? See, when we're not busy engaging the enemy, what are we busy doing? We're looking for a fight here. Do you know how many times somebody comes and says, You know, <coughs> Pastor, uh, I'm sorry when I said such and such the other day. And thank you for getting your conscience right. But I'm going to be honest. I don't have time to worry about that. I am not looking to invent an offense to have something to actually fight with. I have enough real enemies than to look for them in this room. I have enough real Goliaths to knock down than to try to find one in your life. Sometimes the people of God are the most petty, offense-carrying people on the planet. Sometimes three, four, five weeks goes by and they're still offended and you never even knew what about. I'm like, grow up! The sun's not supposed to go down without you hitting the reset button. Period. 
The sun is not supposed to go down without hitting the reset button. You know where all marriage counseling starts? Fifteen years ago, he. Three years ago, she. The sun cannot go down without hitting the reset button or you are working for Adonai Bezek. You're robbing the anointing. You are taking away godly deeds. You are the anti-Jesus working in the situation. Who wants to be that? Well, we have to make a choice to do it God's way. So, but it hurts. Well, it's supposed to. It's a crucifixion. Somebody tell you it's going to be pleasant. Do you ever see a crucifixion that had, you know, songs going? And... It's not. You were supposed to be carrying your cross to be crucified on. It's supposed to be hard. It's easy the Baptist would do it. <coughs> Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? When we raise up arms against our leaders, what we're really doing is raising up arms against the Lord because they're His delegated authority. By the way, in these first three verses, they're at rest rather than at ready. They're quarreling rather than strong joy. They have no bones, no resurrected smile because all they can see is death. Isn't that an amazing thing? They're in the very same state that they came out of Egypt in. No progress at all. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Friends, sometimes when you're facing a difficult problem, the very best that you can do is just take with you the knowledge that He delivered you from the last difficult problem. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Who will be there with you? The Lord. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And people said that this Old Testament was a God of judgment and not grace. If that's not grace, what is? Did they deserve water? <coughs> Sometimes the anointing will fall upon you. Even when you are not covered in the blood. I told you that the blood had to precede the oil. Well, if you want it to remain, it does. But it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. Don't be fooled in thinking that because you feel a warm, fuzzy experience in here, your life is right with God. The fact that the anointing is dripping upon you is a testament to His mercy to give you water to survive another day to get right. You're either covered in His blood in a permanent way and covered in His anointing in a permanent way, or you're just hanging around people long enough to keep you on life support. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled there. They tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? What a great question. Is he here or not? If there's quarreling and backbiting, if there is no joy there, is he there or not? Well, he's there, but only for one reason. To bring you to repentance. This is our closing scripture. Of course, it'll go from the 8th verse to the 15th verse. <laughs> the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Why did the Amalekites come at Rephidim? Because he's looking for a place when you're at rest. He's looking for you to be in a place of coasting. He's looking for you to have a, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands so that he can come upon you like a bandit. This is what Proverbs says. How many of you have let your guard in and let your guard down and found the enemy standing at your doorstep? Maybe he's tearing apart your house. Maybe he's ripped 
your best relationships from you. Maybe you feel like you have very little energy left for life at all. You don't get more by resting. You get more by going to war. Yeah. Amen. By the way, Amalek means warlike, valley dweller. He who licks up, as in like fire destroys. Licks up. So the warlike valley dweller has come upon you. Where does the valley dweller dwell? In the valley. They are not on the heights with the Lord. Their lives are not full of praise for Him. What are they full of? Quarrels. They are not full of joy. What are they full of? Anger. They are not, <coughs> they are not full of readiness for warfare. They are full of resting. Their lives are defined by their ease, not defined by their So is it any wonder that Amalek picked this time to attack? Moses said to Joshua, this is the very first time in the Scripture that Moses speaks to Joshua or he's mentioned. See, when the warlike valley dweller shows up in your life to wreak havoc in your life, there is someone else standing there to defend you. Someone else standing there to go to war. And he has chosen men to go to war with him. You're either supposed to be a priest at his side going to war with him or a leper waiting to encounter them. But there is no middle ground. When the warlike valley dweller showed up to destroy the people of God, so did the Son of God. 1 John 3.8 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. You cannot claim to be a part of the Son of God and be a part of the devil's work. The two will not coexist together. I heard a testimony here just yesterday. I began asking the Lord to help me in my house, to straighten out my house. The next day, somebody had to leave. I said, wow. It's an amazing thing. Tell me, why do you have to go? Well, a lot of his ways were devilish. He's not interested in getting them right. My house was supposed to be a refuge. But instead, it had become a haven for him to do unholy things. Then, praise God, he answered your prayer. There's no loss there. Doesn't mean you can't care for them. Doesn't mean you can't love them and pray for them. It means you can't enable them to be wicked. I mean, if you're in the enabling others to be wicked business. Choose some of our men and go to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. I think some of you know this story, so I don't think I'm going to read it all. I'm going to tell you. Moses stands with this staff in his hands on top of the hill. And as long as he's standing in this strong, joyous, smiling position, Joshua is winning the battle with the chosen man. Whenever his hands begin to drop, they begin to lose the battle. <coughs> this is reenacted on your face every time you face any trial. When you are failing to live in joy, when you are failing to smile in difficulty, you are losing the battle no matter how hard you try to convince yourself you have the right to be this way. The problem with convincing yourself you have the right to be that way <coughs> is if you succeed, what will you get other than a miserable life? Mm -hmm. Moses couldn't hold up his hands alone and you may not be able to hold up the corners of your mouth alone. <coughs> he had both a brother. Who was his brother? Aaron. Brother by blood, right? A member of his own blood family. A member of his own race. Jews. <coughs> he had a brother-in-law 
hurt. Somebody standing beside him that was only there by virtue of a covenant. Wow, that is cool. I'm not suggesting that her was a Gentile, but I think you can follow me through that shadow and type, can't you? It is going to take all of the people of God standing around the righteous requirements of God exemplified in Jesus for us to win this battle. And we are definitely in one. And Adonai Bezek will cut off your thumbs and your toes if you don't go after his first. That's right. Are you winning or losing? I need you to win. I need you to try. And if you stumble in some part, a brother will be there to help you. <coughs> we need this to be a year of battle and victory. I have quite literally staked my entire life upon it. Held nothing in reserve. Because Jesus didn't hold anything back himself. We're setting you an example. Not to sit back and be revered. An example to be emulated. To hold anything for the trip home. Pour it all out for him. All of it. He is so worth it. We're going to close this message. If God has dealt with you during this message, I'm not asking you to come to the altar. I'm asking you to come back. If you felt nothing during this message, you might need to find another church. I love you. I don't want you to go somewhere else. But if this did not touch you in any way, something's wrong with you or me. And I'm pretty committed to my <laughs> Y'all stand to your feet. <laughs> We're going to baptize Dustin. If you want to be baptized, don't let dress code bother you. Don't let anything bother you. I'm not going to stand out there and ask everybody over and over and over don't you want to be baptized. I believe in a bold faith. I believe in the kind that says, look, there's water, baptize me now. I believe in the kind that does not have to be begged and persuaded to do what the Holy Ghost has already told you you must do. The Word doesn't say pray about being baptized. It says be baptized. It's like praying about being obedient to the Lord. Stupid. Stupid. I won't be stupid. I'd be a fool for Christ, like Cody's shirt says. I don't want to be wise in the things of God. You ready to pray? I don't want to pray all separate. I want you to pray joint, like an army. Let the Lord of hosts be enthroned upon us. Let us pledge to take up each other's struggles as if they were owned. Let us pledge to care more about the people we're standing with than we do our own lives. Let us care more about what happens to our brother if we don't help than us if we do. Let us care enough to go to war. And if you think differently on some point, then come, go to war until we understand better what the will of God is. But don't just take your ball and run away. Mighty God, Lord, we love you. We join hands in this place, Holy One. We join hands and ask you to do something divine, something almost never seen in America. Lord, we ask you to bring a unity to this group, that we would form a kind of community. Whether everybody's in this building, Lord, or some have returned to their own states for their own work, we ask for your hand to be upon us, that we might be considered soldiers, that we might take the fight to the enemy, and that we might see your resurrection power. We want to carry the bones of the resurrection in us. We want the smiles on our faces to be a battle cry during difficult times. 
and hope for those who are perishing. Lord God, we want to walk with you. We ask for your hand to fall upon this group. Lord, for it to be real and not to be some ridiculous church parlor tricks. We need you, Jesus, in your authentic movie. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. 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 Now we'll go baptize Dustin. <laughs> Somebody's out there first.